Real quick, some plugs and ways to contact us. Debatablepodcast.tumblr.com. It's our blog, perfect place to stream and download the episodes. Of course, we've got links to iTunes, too. Facebook.com slash debatablepodcast. Go over there and like us. Leave us questions and comments. If you'd like to email us those questions and comments, debatablepodcast at gmail.com. And we are debatablepod on Twitter. I'm still Mr. Greggles, M-I-S-T-E-R-G-R-E-G-G-L-E-S. You can still send us correspondence through there. But debatablepod is our new Twitter. You do know how to spell debatable, don't you? I hope at this point you do. music that's good that's good i hope you enjoy that it's been a while since we've talked everybody uh yes it's uh we're on the 40th episode that's a big deal another milestone we've been doing this for nearly a year we're coming up on june 3rd and that's going to be our year anniversary um we were supposed to have an episode last week with mayor smith who is a writer producer you might know her from angel she wrote some really big episodes for Angel that, uh, if you are a fan, you will know that name. She also wrote for Burn Notice and, and HBO's Rome and a couple other TV shows. Um, unfortunately, because of personal circumstances, I couldn't record with her, but she will be uh, next week's guest on uh, episode 41. So I'm happy about that. No, no worries there. Uh, also, the per- personal circumstances were um, ameliorated. They uh, were, were lightened and everything was fixed and other uh, synonyms for everything's okay. But nonetheless, uh, today on the program we've got James David Patrick who's been uh, running a live tweet uh, James Bond retrospective of the franchise. Uh, it's real fun. It's, uh, it's exciting to, to be a part of these live tweet events. He, he'll do a new movie in the franchise uh, every Wednesday where he live tweets facts and funny quips and, and just observations. And he gets the community involved. People can follow along and add their own thing. And, of course, he puts this all together and compiles it on uh, his blog for Bondage. It's B-O-N-D 
underscore A-G-E. And that he has a Tumblr, and you can see those uh, that link in the show notes. Um, I believe he's winding down on Pierce Brosnan. I think this week will be Die Another Day, and then he's going to be starting Daniel Craig. And there's been some talk about looping back around because uh, this, uh, this project of his really didn't start picking up until the Roger Moore years, I believe. Um, where people started get, getting really involved, especially around the time of Moonraker and uh, those later uh, Roger Moore films. So he's thinking about looping back around and starting up with Sean Connery again to get everybody involved again in it. Um, yeah, these live tweets have had actually an incredible effect on, on Twitter on Wednesday nights. If you have been a part of it, you've been aware of it, but uh, some of these... Uh, live tweet events have become trending topics, say uh, Live and Let Die, Moonraker, like I just mentioned. Uh, the nights that he'll do this, people get so involved that it will become either a, a regional or nationwide trending topic. And for instance, Goldeneye was one that he did a couple weeks ago, and uh, all of a sudden you have people tweeting about N64 games and not even knowing that he's talking about the movie, and they're like, out of the blue, why is everybody talking about GoldenEye? Did Pierce Brosnan die or something? Or what? what's going on? You know, Usually trending topics only come up for, for big things in the news. So that's pretty interesting. It's pretty fun to get involved with and to just observe the, the, the funny quips and the things that he has to say. So we talk a lot about that, love for the James Bond series, uh, where our love comes from. I have a lot of stories with uh, how my dad... Uh, affected the the way I watched James Bond movies when I came up in the Dalton years, which my dad really, really didn't like and would would not miss an opportunity to remind me that my generation is missing out on, on good Bond movies because we have Timothy Dalton. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, we have a really good show today. That's James David Patrick, and that's today on the Debatable Podcast. What do you want to do? Oh, well, uh... You want to do an origin story? <laughs> sure, why not? We'll do, we'll, we'll do a Bond origin story. <laughs> Everybody's kind of got one, so that's a good place to start. Yeah, let's 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 talk about that. So, you, you born and raised in Pittsburgh? Uh, no, uh, I lived, uh, I grew up in Michigan. Um, so, uh, small farm town outside Kalamazoo for 12 years, then Detroit. Wow. Um, and then, uh... And then I uh, moved to Pittsburgh for high school and then promptly ditched it for college in uh, Atlanta. So I, I went to, sc- I went to, to school at Emory University and 
stay down there for a while after college, then to Boston, and then back to Pittsburgh. Was there a uh, a bend of, of doing doing film, or what were you studying? Yeah, I was going to USC film school at one point. I was accepted and, and pretty much packed and ready to go. Um, director's program, you know, full right. thing. And uh, I decided kind of at the 11th hour that my personality wasn't wasn't going to be a good fit. Why is that? And I was, you know, I I was always more interested in the writing aspects and the directing, at least the work I did in college, you know, you're kind of a one-man show in all the projects you take on. Like, you write it, you direct it, you produce it. I mean, everything. Right. And at that point, I realized writing was where the passion was. And the directing came with a whole lot of other bullshit. Sure. That I didn't want to get into. I had a friend that went to the uh, FSU film program the year before, and he loved it. And based on how well he was doing, I'm like, I'm not sure this is the way I want to go. Like, he was a totally different personality. It was right up his alley. And I'm like, I just want to sit in the corner and write forever. Can right. I do that. So I elected not to go to USC. Was there also kind of the the interest in, in not wanting to necessarily do someone else's uh, work, you know, being a, in a group, you wanted to do your own thing? Yeah, you know, that, I, I, was pro, I was okay with the collaboration. I mean, I've done, I, I, I'd worked, my, um, my, my primary focus during college was a sketch comedy show. Oh, really? Yeah, I did, we did it for two years. Uh, uh, it was basically seven of us, five actors and then uh, two writers, producers, and I directed the thing. Um, it, uh, it, it, it got pretty popular, and uh, it, it was an amazing collaboration of egos in that we tried not to step on each other's toes, and we ended up creating these, mag- these massive sketches that were ph- like uh, driven by philosophy and, and religion and satire and it, it, it was you know it, it it became huge what was your influence for that were you guys looking to it, monty python or what it it was we look we were pretty much uh loyal kids in the hall fans nice uh this is we we took that and some of the monty python we we love the random transitions so we borrowed random transitions and and in between, and created these sketches that were. I mean, it, it was a lot of improv because we wrote we we'd write the the outlines, and depending upon who was in the sketch, the the actors would generally take on most of the writing duties for their ideas. Right. Like if it was your idea, you wrote it, and then the actors who were actually pulled from the sketch comedy troupe at Emory would kind of have their way with it. Right. Um, so it, it, there wasn't, it wasn't so much scripted as it was just an idea by the time it got done. Right. And, uh, you know, we did five, four, four shows. The fifth shows never got finished because, you know, we, we were overly ambitious. I thought we could finish uh, a sketch comedy show while finishing finals, and that never happened. So uh-huh. there was, there was unfinished sketches there. But we finished four, four shows, and uh, we started at the first one. We, we, we premiered them at the campus theater. The first one had about 40 people 
and by the fourth one, we were filling the thing, and it was inexplicable to me. You know, That's amazing. Is it was it was it intimidating at first? No, because we were just you know we all had similar interests, and we were just having fun. That's great. You know, like our our first big sketch was this is right after Blair Witch came out, right? And and right after Blair Witch came out, the three million parodies came out. So we were parodying the parodies <laughs> of Blair Witch. It, it made so much sense in our mind, but we don't know whether we actually were as brilliant as we were. But anyway, we it, that was the sketch was totally improv. We went out into the these. There was a small section of, of woods right off campus. It was it really wasn't woods. You could see the the main corridor through the campus through the trees essentially. Right. Like the um, some of the um, university faculty lived down there. So, like, we were pretending to be lost in these very narrow forests. You could always <laughs> see the road. And, like, the big joke on Emory was that there's no uh, university pride and spirit. There's, there's really no sports to oh, right. gather around. Right. It's a, it's a very isolated, like, it's generally a very isolated community from each other. There, there isn't a lot of gathering. So we were searching for the spirit of Emory in the woods. And we were there for hours. We were complaining we'd be there for hours. And like, it took us, I don't remember how long. We were there four or five days of constant shooting, just gathering footage. We had seven or eight hours of raw footage for a 20-minute sketch. It ended up being 20 minutes. It was originally just 15. So like, we literally did not have a plan. And it went well. So we're like, well, what could we do if we actually had a plan? <laughs> yeah. So it, you know, we, we started planning more, writing more scripts and, you know, we, we had a good time and it, and it worked out well, you know, and we, we, most of us, we all still keep in touch a little bit. We always talk about doing a reunion special. That's for great. The, you know, the one person left on campus still remembers us, but we do know that they continue to air our, our sketch comedy show for a number of years after we left because I ran into a person that went to Emory and says, and said that, yeah, I watched the shepherds. That's fantastic. All the time, and I'm like, that's weird because I wasn't there when you were at Emory. So. That's fantastic. That's a leg. That's a legacy. It is a legacy <laughs> of some variety, and I always break out the the tapes. They're now now they're on DVDs, but I break out the DVDs for for people when they're drunk and they seem to like them. So they'll they'll yeah. remember you when. I I I, I certainly had uh, similar experiences uh, at college. We we had a uh, a TV station at college, and we did these, you know, uh, I, everything from from you know news package shows like The Daily Show to to things that are sketch based. And I have a very fond memories of of doing those, especially the the sketch comedy uh, shows that we did. That's some great stuff, especially when you get a chance to to flex your creative muscles. So, so what did you where did you move from from that going into into writing? So, it, was it the the sketch comedy writing that got you interested in writing more? It's probably my film classes because uh, I I had uh, really gotten interested in uh, screenwriting at that point through my undergraduate film classes, and immediately after. I just started writing writing scripts, and uh, you know I had some. You know, you start turning out these scripts and you send them to the contests, and I had some success in getting beyond the first round. 
Right. That, that was my success. So I was like, well, this is, you know, this is kind of interesting. I really enjoy doing this. I'm going to, you know, pursue this. And I'm pretty sure that the screenwriting was what got me into the USC program in the first place. Right. And then I realized, you know, if this is what I want to do, I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to pay all this money to go to USC to write screenplays. Sure. So I kind of took a step back. And at the time, my wife was applying to law schools and she wasn't too keen on going to an L.A. law school. Uh, so I said, you know, I can write from anywhere. I can go to a program anywhere. Sure. And I just decided that writing was going to be what, uh, what would be my pursuit. And, uh, and from there, I took it to fiction. Uh, I was writing. Uh, I went got my MFA at the University of Southern Maine. Nice. And uh, I've been writing. Uh, I think at this point I've written every form and function, you know, business <laughs> grant writing, fiction writing, right. fiction memoir that it, that exists. Did you ever flex your muscles into doing criticism? Because really, I I mean, as much as I know about you, it's only been through yeah. you know a, a very finite time and and through the the bondage or bondage. How how do you how do you pronounce that? How is that project? Bondage, you know, I, I, Just go with bondage. That, that, to, 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 to sidetrack just briefly, the the hashtag. And the name for this series was a was a source of, of great turmoil <laughs> because I had it, I mean Bond has been done sure done you know and how do I make this stand out and like the, you want to call it bondage but the the hashtag results that you get yeah. Twitter from bondage yeah. worried me. <laughs> that might be your your audience that you want to to, to to read your live tweeting though. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have been an interesting mix. But, so I ended up trying to, to make it a little more creative and, and, and thus spawn the oven human bondage <laughs> play on, on the title and then the the use of the different characters to separate that out so it's not bondage, it's right. bondage. Edge. Right. Anyway, so more understandable. But did, did you ever do any sort of critical writing? Yes. Uh, I I started writing movie reviews when I was fifteen years old. Nice. A friend and I had what amounted to a GeoCities <laughs> page for movie reviews, and we. I mean, we. I mean, I I don't know how many we actually went through. We did it for four years, five years. Yeah. We must have seen two to three movies a week. Nice. Like it, it was, it was consuming. And we actually, you know, you, you consider where the internet was in 1990. Let's see, four, <laughs> uh, 1994. <laughs> and uh, it, it was a page of text with a title, and we right. we graded them. And, like, right. Some, I believe the internet was only one page at that time. It it was. Yeah, I think <laughs> you just turned it on, and there was our review page. Anyway, so. <laughs> it, it was another one of those weird things like we just did it we had no idea what would happen with it and we I don't know it, I don't know how many people remember MTV's Adam Curry yeah he was a he was a semi-popular VJ back in the day uh, he started an early internet venture uh, that was supposed to be like a media hub and he his people contacted us to write the movie reviews for his page. Nice. I had th these weird connections. Adam Curry, like, I, he's he's like a, he's he's a very prominent figure in my past now because of this. So we wrote these reviews. Like, 
we pretty much kept our site, and he just pulled the reviews from our site for his site. Right. And then there was another site after that, and so and we had a feature in the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, like full page Sunday spread about our tiny little movie review page. We wow. Were just Seventeen. Wow, that's some early like uh, notoriety. That's great. Yeah. It, it was it, it was strange. It was one of those things. I had no expectations. I was just a, a fanatical movie watcher, and like, and and at the time, I was still doing. I was writing, you know, as much as you know, you're writing high school stuff. Sure. And like I said I was going to write for the paper and write for the yearbook and whatnot. So it, right. it started early. Wow, that's great. That's great. So so when you when you got so you went to college and then when you got out of that was what was the the idea you were going to write fiction, write screenplays, try to sell them. I, I went back into uh, entertainment journalism again. I uh, I started doing I did movie reviews again. I I uh, wrote for it's called Insight Magazine. It's a, like a local. It's a college tabloid paper, pretty right. much. It, it kind of haunts the college campuses. So I started writing movie reviews for the Southern branch. <laughs> so the all the they, they did it by region, so that you have regional specific reviews. So I was writing for the Southern region entertainment section of the inside magazine how did that differentiate from the northern and the western and the eastern? no idea i never saw them you know I, i've never seen an insight magazine outside of emory <laughs> i know they actually no that's not true they were in boston too but i i you know i, I just wrote for the atlanta one and i was told they existed elsewhere but i didn't know interesting but so i was i did write movie reviews I, and i'd uh, get sent to the junkets that uh, my editor didn't want to go to that's not bad. That's really what a lot of people get into into writing and reviewing and podcasting for these days. Yeah, it, Is, I was ahead, I was ahead of my time. That's great. Yeah, yeah. No, you're 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 ahead of you, <laughs> so ahead got, of the curve with a lot of crap junkets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you say? Some interesting people, big stars, but crap movies. <laughs> like I, I interviewed. Let's see, some John Travolta for that fantastic movie Basic. Nice. <laughs> That was the same weekend. Uh, Many people compared that to Rashomon. Thank you very much. They compared it to something other than than garbage. <laughs> is, is something. I mean that that was terrible. I. I it, it's. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't help that it was immediately uh, after watching The Hunted. <laughs> yeah. With, uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio del Toro. Yeah. And I actually had to interview Benicio del Toro for The Hunted. Oh, how was that? That was my assignment for the trip. They're like, well, while you're there, go to basic. So I sat, I basically sat in on the, the table for the Travolta interview and everybody with basic and whatnot. Nice. Um, I had no agenda at that one, but my, my purpose was to get the Benicio del Toro interview. Uh, what was he like was on that? Fine. He seems like such an enigmatic to, uh, dude in, in uh, interviews. He, he's like so laid back, he's melting in his chair. <laughs> You know, and like, he was just like, didn't even, you know, there's some people who don't care. Like, right. he doesn't care, but he just has a way about him that he's, he doesn't care. But, you know, he really cares. But he, but he sells it with that kind of charisma. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I had this, you know, I had the tape. You know, you, you don't have digital tapes, but this is like the cassette tapes. Right. So I recorded the conversation. And I went to transcribe it when I got back from the junket, and I couldn't understand what the fuck he was saying. <laughs> he was li- he was like his character in uh, Usual Suspects. That's the way he talks. <laughs> well, the way he talks in the in other movies where you can understand him is him trying harder. 
So like I really had I had I had to try and piece together this interview and like some of the interviews you you transcribe verbatim if there wasn't much to add I had to re like tell it it was almost fiction you know? <laughs> I'm still impressed that none of Benicio's people called me up and said you know this is bullshit Well it came but, full circle full circle for you considering uh, you're such a fan of License to Kill you know that uh, it, it, it was nice because uh, <laughs> you know at the time I, I had totally forgotten about License to Kill. It wasn't even yeah. on, on my mind. I hadn't been, gotten back into into Bond yet. You know, it, it was a, it was an in between period there. Right, and it's it's great. Later, I I love going back and seeing. Uh, is it China Moon where he's the where he's in there as a, a, a young cop? I see these uh, these movies from like the late eighties, early nineties. And I'm always surprised that he'll pop up in them. I'm like, wow, you know, he was kind of a even a prolific actor to have such a big part in in a movie with Ed uh, with uh, Ed Harris. You know, I, I know I've seen that movie, but I can remember absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, that, well, that's a lot of people's uh, 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 memory of uh, of China Moon. <laughs> I remember them bringing it up on on um, inside the actor's studio when they interviewed Benicio Del Toro and they were like, well, you know, you had such a, a significant part and he was like, I don't think I was ready for that. It was kind of thrown in my lap. And I was like, you know, yeah, probably because it was probably a, a year or two after License to Kill. He was or still... Abs- I mean, he's terrible in that movie. <laughs> he's, gonna... He eats, he, he doesn't chew sure scenery. He has nothing to do and he stands there looking tough, but he doesn't look tough. Yeah, he smiles a lot. It's, yeah... I don't know. It, it's not very good. It, it's the novelty, though. It's entertaining. So, so really, the the whole point of of talking to you was, you know, the thing that got me really interested in talking to you was the 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 bondage project that you're doing, and you've been doing that since when? When did you start that? Oh, well, it was conceived the weekend that Skyfall was released. I was um, I wow. was talking to a couple guys on Twitter naturally, uh, and. Uh, we were we were getting excited for Skyfall, and uh, one of them, he's the editor of Sundog Literary Magazine, uh, suggested I write a review, go back through the entire Bond series and write a review. And at the time, I was like, "Yeah, that's funny. That's a lot of work." I yeah, that. seriously. But uh, it starts a, it starts a lot earlier for you, right? With with you being a fan, you're you're a super fan from back in the day, though. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I, the first. My memory of my, my my earliest Bond memory is hazy. I know it was a Dalton movie. I do not know for a fact whether it was Licensed to Kill or The Living Daylights. I'm right. pretty sure if if you forced me to to make a decision, the first one I saw was Living Daylights uh, on video, and I would I think I got I went to see Licensed to Kill in the theater. Right. And that and that was Licensed to Kill. So I'm ooh, eleven at the time and I love License to Kill I don't know why it wasn't because it was Bob because at that point I hadn't seen Connery and I hadn't seen any Moors and like at that point my dad was like you know you're a big fan of License to Kill I'm gonna have to right. set you straight on a few things right. was your dad at all you know like my dad where he um, I remember my dad you know everybody has these kind of when it comes to Getting exposed to James Bond, especially if it's something that you share with your dad as a child, that <laughs> my my dad was so outspoken about how how 
upset or he not upset but how much he maligned my generation's bond he was like i had the best bond and now you have to go back and check it out because this dalton is ho- is horrible yeah th- there's there's a lot of stories about that like that but he he was more equal opportunity he he was just a fan you know? nice he, he was like you know he really like license to kill but i'm gonna have to show you goldfinger right <laughs> so i went back at that point and like and, and goldfinger was like i mean that's as a starting point, that's that, that's it. You yeah, know, yeah. For getting into old Bond, and and from there it was just I watched. I mean, I watched them all. Some of them, not too many times. Sure. I I, I, I did not, you know, watch many Roger Moore's. I remember, I remember having violent reactions to Moonraker as a child. <laughs> uh, so I, like I would have binged on them all like eleven, twelve, you know, and Moonraker. I, I still remember my reaction to Moonraker, and, and it was. Was it I the, just could not believe it was a Bond movie. Yeah. The, the floating in space towards the end, too, is a little much. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot in that movie. It, it's just it's a head-scratcher. You know, I, I had no, zero zero appreciation for that movie until we rewatched it Bondage. You know, it, there is a certain charm, an innocent charm to Moonraker that I, 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 I had not... I had not understood beforehand, but you know it, that that's why I did this. You know, I hadn't, I, I had watched the Connor, the Connery movies that, that I liked. And we're going to exclude Diamonds Are Forever from this because that movie's please, crap. Please, but I, I love, know, like, I, I, I love with Love and Doctor No and Goldfinger and, and like those you know, the the big ones. You know, I'd watched them so many times, and, and I started talking on, on Twitter about the, about the movies and Skyfall. And, uh, they, they proposed the idea of doing the series and, and the more I thought about it the more I'm like you know I haven't watched these movies in forever I'm really curious to, to know what I think about them now but you're right there is a lot of work that goes into these because you do not only a live tweet while watching it on Wednesdays right yeah yeah you also do don't you do a like a, a full review on your Tumblr or do you just like compile all of your live tweets? <laughs> well, here or we go. both. <laughs> so the original concept was the review of the movie. Right. Uh, each week I do a new one for for the Sundog. I was they're actually going to be on Sundog later originally. Nice. And uh, I'm like, you know, review review isn't different. You know, I'm not. I don't want to try and you know form a new opinion on these movies they've been done they've been written about there's dozens of books sure i don't i don't want to go with a review path so the more i thought about it the more i'm like you know it's got to be a blog format it's got to be something that i have the freedom to talk about whatever i want right and uh so i made the decision that yes i would do it i would i would do it a blog format so then i started thinking about it more and it was nagging at me and I'm like, you know, that's that's not enough because that doesn't get anybody involved in it. Like, sure. it's going to be me doing what I normally do is, is talking to the internet with nobody listening. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, you know, this this would be you know, this could be a live tweet. I'm mean, like, people, I mean, people like Bond. People probably would. I, at this point, I'm like, probably would con- would would, would uh, participate. Like, I had no idea. That's it, it is amazing how how you've kind of brought people in because I'm sure it, you know there was a, a warming period but now you know just reading your stuff yesterday it's actually trending hashtags yeah so we I came up with this idea to do the, the live tweets and I proposed it to the Sundog Lick guy and, and um, 
his name's Justin, and he was like, you know, that's you know, it's probably a good idea. Yeah. So we did the first one in December, and he was going to be late. I knew that already. Doctor, no, it was me tweeting to nobody for an hour. <laughs> that's how this started. I was just tweeting facts and, and doing and making observations and, and, and talking film theory and stuff to nobody. I meant to ask you, like, what what is your general? I'm sure it's it's changed a bit, but what's your general prep? Are you like reading trivia online? Are you listening to the audio commentaries and taking notes? Where are you getting your information so from? The information, I have a, a few books that I've collected over the years. Uh, a couple I've picked up recently that people have recommended to me. It, it, the, the Bond uh, fan base is, is such a uh, uh, wealth of knowledge about this stuff. And like everybody keeps suggesting books to read. And like I, I am so backlogged now because I, have, I pick up all these different reading materials. And right. So I have these books that I go to. There's a uh, official James Bond guide that was produced. There's a, a book, uh, Licensed to Thrill by James Chapman. It is, is brilliant for commentary, and I pick a lot of facts out of that. It's got a lot of, uh, of commentary on the, the time frame, the, the surrounding elements that, that uh, change the way the Bond movies are made. I get it off. Uh, there's a mi6 blog that's kind of the the best source for james bond facts and i uh if i have time on top of all that i will wa- i'll try and watch some of the special features on the dvds before the live tweet and then i take whatever i've been able to gather uh and put them into saved tweets for the live tweet event when you do the live tweet though is that the first time that you have watched that movie currently or have you watched it like once before it is generally there it's the first time i try to keep it the first time i've watched it in a long time there was there was one instance where i was worried that i wasn't going to be able to be at the <laughs> the entire live tweet. For some reason, this caused me great panic because I've been in every minute of every movie. Right. So I had watched it. Uh, which one was it? Um, maybe it was for your eyes only. But I, I I wanted to get some safe tweets that would just go out. So I, I did watch that one before. But generally, I want to have that feeling of discovery. Right. While I'm watching it. Being fresh and having yeah, your fresh like, reaction. I don't to want it. it to feel planned. Yeah. Because with a lot of people, they're they're also watching these movies for the first time, especially the Roger Moore movies. Yeah, I found people had not watched those in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got he's got a bad. I don't know why he has such a bad reputation, even with Bond fans. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating. You know, I I had never been a big Roger Moore fan, but watching these in order has really changed my perspective on it. Because without Roger Moore, I'm of the opinion that Bond doesn't survive the seventies. Yeah. And yet, they weren't the best movies, but the spirit of them is what made them survive. Yeah. Well, he has... it was his characterization that played to that spirit. Yeah. Now, I'm not... Connery couldn't do that, that shtick, and at that point, Bond was worn thin. Yeah. They, they were... Diamonds Are Forever was a parody of itself, and yeah. that itself is a travesty. Yeah. It is. It and is so much like a... like. Like the Casino Royale of the '60s, or 
you know, of well, it's, uh, it's a direct response to that because yeah. people were weary of the formula by that point. Something had to change, and it was a cynical attitude toward those kinds of movies at that point. You had Flint, and you had that uh, the Dean Martin oh, series yeah. of movies that came out. I, the yep. name escapes me at the moment, but like it was so done. Like, what do you do when your entire formula has been <laughs> exposed to the world for the simplicity that it is, you know? That's that's interesting because when, when you say that, then it kind of clears up, to me, uh, the, the whole impetus of why the Roger Moore movies started doing so well in the 70s because they were kind of, like, tacked on to the trend. Each movie was kind of... You know, especially the early ones were kind of built around whatever genre was really popular at the time. Kung Fu the, flicks. They're they always two years behind too. They're always the yeah genre. You know, they did the Live and Let Die. I just finished that essay, so it's all it's very fresh in my mind. You know, right. The, the they they touched on the black exploitation genre. Right. And, uh, I mean that at the time it was strong in in, in 70, 71, 72, and by seventy three. When it's released, it's kind of waned, right? And and they really had just taken that formula, tried to combine it with Bond, and they stuck this white hero in the middle of the world, <laughs> in, the, in the middle of this this the scenario. And you know, it's an innocent, it's an innocent way of doing things. But in retrospect, it it, it can be seen as incredibly offensive. Yeah, and that I mean, that's what I wrote the essay about. But you know that they, they did that. You know, they just borrowed whatever was popular. You go on to Man with the Golden Gun, and you're borrowing Kung Fu. Right. What, two years after, year after Enter the Dragon. Right. And it's it's forced, it's contrived, and there's something just inherently enjoyable about that movie to me. As bad as it is, I am never going to to claim that Man with the Golden Gun is a great movie, but it is a fun movie. It is. It Sports is. Warts and all, because it it just. There's, there's, I mean, it, it's about the slide whistle and the <laughs> the slide whistle. Yeah, the slide so, whistle is so infamous. But I mean, to I me, mean, those that don't know, you have this incredible stunt, this barrel roll <laughs> yeah. over a bridge. I mean, it is, it has never been done, and it hasn't. And, and they tried to recreate it. That uh, right. the British car, I don't remember the British car show tried to tried to re- to redo it, and they right. couldn't do it. Anyway, the, this stunt, this barrel over off a bridge over this crevice and they had a slide whistle sound effect it's so goofy <laughs> it, it it's so out of place and, and you know it was <laughs> it's legendary but <laughs> the movies like that though you know it it just has so many mistakes in terms of the way they approached it but it's still entertaining and that's why these movies have lasted and endured because they're just enjoyable to watch. Well, let me ask you something. If you approach it from from Bond movies being uh, really entertaining and, and being fun, even when they are uh, rehashed or um, not the the best story, or they're you know taking from what is trendy at the moment, if if you're gonna put so much on on the on the fun of Bond, why then do you have movies that are wall-to-wall uh, kind of uh, lacking, like, Die Another Day, but it isn't as fun. Do you, do, I mean, you don't, you, don't, you don't necessarily feel like that movie's as fun as 
even the most hackneyed more, at least in my opinion. There, no. There are, there are two bonds that I accept from the whole every movie is fun to watch. Uh, the, they are at the bottom of my list. That they, they, I'm, actually, I'm actually building this up because we, you know, we, we're in Brosnan, the Brosnan years now. We just yeah, you just started last night. Right. So Die Another Day is on the horizon. And I am anticipating the showdown between Die Another Day and Diamonds Are Forever <laughs> from my least favorite Bond movie. They are diamond. They're, they're, I mean, they're they're bad for completely different ways. And I'm not talking so bad they're good. They're just they're, yeah. they're just terrible movies. And I have honestly, I haven't seen Die Another Day since the theater. I remember I remember walking out of that theater being so disgusted. I I had taken my girlfriend at the time, but not my wife. I believe it was probably her first Bond movie in the theater. Oh my God! And she I stayed with you. Dragged her to die another day because it was Bond. I'm like, I gotta go. I gotta go. It's gotta be better than the world is not enough. You know, which was, you know it had some very good elements to it, but it, it was overall a pretty poor movie. But how does Die Another Day make a World Is Not Enough actually seem like a good movie? <laughs> because the World Is Not Enough has some good ideas and it has a great villain. Oh yeah. There are some elements in that movie. That that are vintage Bond, but it's it's undermined by terrible scripts and just ridiculous stunts. Yeah. Um, and Die Another Day took that to an entirely different level. That it, it just makes me so fr- it just makes me so mad. Uh, the the whole Brosnan the the Brosnan series is just a a wasted opportunity because I believe he could have been great and. Goldeneye to me is is what the modern like those movies should have been. Sure, it it, it has got to be considered in 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 the top echelon. It's uh, in the current rankings. I have it in number three. I've been re-ranking them all as I've been watching them. So it's number it's it's number three right now. Well, wow. um, I think it's you're, it's but, got all the elements. You're right, and it's also the his his series. You're you're absolutely right. Is kind of just this. This downslope. Do you, do you know what? How old was Brosnan when he uh, did Goldeneye? Um, Forty four sticks in my mind, but I'm not. It, it's somewhere in there. He was he was uh, he was over forty because um, he had been approached originally to do uh, a View to a Kill, I believe. Right. Uh, and uh, I mean, at that point, he <laughs> he said himself he was too young for the role. Right. Um, so they, Roger Moore came back and, um, you know, they, and then they had the debacle where he was stuck in his Remington Steel contract. Right. So that was postponed again, which, you know. Which led to Dalton. Yeah, which led to Dalton, who, again, is, is much maligned, unfairly perhaps. Uh, he, he brought something to the role that, that nobody had dared to do and will never, you know, it, and he set the tone for Daniel Craig. I mean, what sure. Daniel Craig's doing is, is not that far off from Timothy Dalton, but sure. everybody still complains about Timothy Dalton for some reason. It's just a weird thing with Brosnan because I don't think that Brosnan himself is is to blame with what happened to his series. I think the the writing and, and where they wanted to go with uh, those, those, like, four stories – that kind of destroyed it because they were kind of like trying to switch gears after Dalton, you know, the backlash being that Dalton played it too serious, I'm guessing. Yeah. That was those, the Dalton movies weren't successes financially. Right. Um, They were also relatively low budget, you know, considering where Bond had come from, you know, uh, they, 
from Thunderball on, they had pretty much paid health. <laughs> they had paid massive amounts for these movies. You know, they, right. they were always top grossing. And they'd always, you know, paid for it. Um, you see that 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 changeover between between Dalton and and Brosnan. Do you think that uh, that will ever happen again? You know, after Daniel Craig is done, do you think that they're going to try to keep, since it seems to be what people want is a kind of more serious bond and that they're getting, you know, the, it's infused with kind of uh, what what Jason Bourne is and that kind of, you know, the, the latter day uh, spy that we're into do you think that that is going to ever change again with you from from your experience with it well going going having gone through this in order now it, it, it is a, a brand new perspective on these movies you know you you realize how how much bond reflects the culture and the cinematic culture especially of the time one when you get to Roger Moore Roger Moore's reaction against Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which had been a failure at the box office as well. Right. Um, so not only was it Lazenby, it was the more serious Bond, the the more Fleming-esque Bond. Right. So they made it they they made it funnier. They made it more outrageous. And you come out of Roger Moore, and the you know they make this very serious Bond with Dalton, who as a Shakespearean actor went back to the text. Right. He was very serious about maintaining Fleming's image. I mean, there's what he said about the character is fascinating. If you ever have a chance to, 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 to read some of, uh, some of his interviews, he was very into the various, the, the roots of the character and those movies didn't do well. So you go back to the, the Atlantis action and, and, Brosnan is more is more comedic. I'm not saying he's comedic. He's more comedic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and even Goldeneye was written for Dalton. Oh yeah. It was rewritten for Brosnan when Dalton said he wasn't coming back after the six year hiatus. But right. I mean, so you've got all these different steps along the way, and the reactions and counter reactions to the failures and the characters that are the actors that are playing Bond. And if there's one thing I'm certain of, it's that there will be another reaction to the Craig years eventually. Sure. I don't know when it's going to happen because these movies have reached, have, have hit a new high in terms of consistency and sure. quality of filmmaking. I mean, even you go back to the, the classic Bonds with Connery and like Connery made those movies. They didn't know what they were doing necessarily. Yeah. Dr. No is, is kind of a mess of a movie, yeah. but it works because uh, of the character and Bond will always work as long as, as the actor playing Bond buys into it. Yeah. I just hope that, like, we, we did mention it a couple weeks ago, I, I just hope that the, the, the understanding is, it's probably not there for, I forget his name, Mi- Michael, who's the, who's the producer, Michael? Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson, and uh, it's Broccoli's daughter, right? Barbara. Barbara. I hope, it's probably not there for producers, but I wonder if, Daniel Craig is going to bow out before it becomes geriatric because that was my problem with where more went. That's kind of my problem with, with Connery when he came back, not once, but that second twice, technically. <laughs> that's that, that, a, twice, technically. Yeah. I can't talk about that movie. 
yeah, let's let's not. It's not canon. Well, I did concede. We are we are tacking on. I never say never again. Episode of Bondage. You are. Yeah, we have a particular uh, a fan friend fan of Bondage <laughs> that has been begging for an episode. Like, I tacked it on just for him. Is it going to come after Skyfall? After Skyfall, the week after Skyfall, tentatively we'll do Never Say Never Again. Nice. I, uh, yeah, I'm not excited about it, but I'm sure it'll be fun to make fun of. <laughs> but, you know, like, we, we are talking about, like, the perfect time for for uh, the actor to come in, and and, and typically, you're, you know, like you said, you know, uh, Craig is getting into his later 40s, right? Yeah. So at, I, I just hope that he doesn't, you know, so by the con- by the try to go for He's got two more movies left in his contract. Right. Um, and the way they're making these movies now, they're, they're taking their sweet-ass time. You know? And, you know, the movies of this quality aren't, they're not churned out as serials anymore like they used to be every sure. two years. Sure. Uh, I mean, this is, this is serious cinema now we're dealing with. And I, I sort of do mourn the loss of, of, of that era of filmmaking now, especially in terms of Bond, because, sure. you know, the... As I said, there the, all the movies were essentially fun entries. I mean, like they're not the serious cinema, right? And you know, you don't have to worry about successes and failures so much. They they are kind of yeah. They they are doing that other thing where they're uh, injecting realism into it. So Bond now, even with Skyfall, you see that there's quite a bit of wear and tear on the character. Yeah. So they're kind of injecting the realism that this is not a um, a, a a superhero that's going to go on forever. At least not this Bond. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing to look at. It's something I I've been following as I've been going back through again. I I had written about it in my the very first introductory essay for the Bond series, in in that they they the way they treat the character is temporality. Uh, in in uh, Casino Royale, he's treated as a rookie agent, mm-hmm. and so he has Casino Royale like he, a thug almost. Yeah, well, he you know M doesn't trust him. Right, he's loose cannon in Casino Royale. You know, and the direct continuation of that is, is Quantum of Solace. Right, like it, it happens directly after Casino Royale. Right. So then, if we consider that one specific event, those two movies, we then moved on to the third movie in Skyfall, and he's suddenly a geriatric almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's he's going on a bender, and he's, he's disappearing because he's too old for this shit. He right. doesn't say it, you know, to his credit, but he's too old for this shit. Right. So it begs the question, you've got 20 other movies. Interesting. That, and that are supposed to sit in between, if you if you want to look at it that Interesting, way. interesting. So if, if you consider Casino Royale, which is the first novel, the first movie in the timeline, and Skyfall... Where he's apparently this aging and considering retirement. Right. There's this, you know, and then the you know you return to a youth, more youthful bond every time you change the character over. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, there's a number of theories that, that are floating about there, ridiculous theories about how you know James Bond's a time lord, or <laughs> they're, they're all different agents and they're all title double. They're all yeah. The same. That's actually uh, a former guest on this show uh, brought up that that particular idea i don't buy it because they recall like more recalls the in for your eyes only, your eyes only more mourns the death of his wife sure in iron majesty's secret service and they bring that up again in dalton's movie right. license to kill right they talk about you know he he was married once you know this is why i, I you know I, I i am really 
holding on to this theory that this is a series of interweaving and intermingling events in the career of one agent. Right. And my the, the big essay that I'm going to use that will probably take me a year to write because that's the way I do these things <laughs> is about how this this all forms the, the, in, the this concept, like how these movies fit into this concept. And I'll probably decide to order them according to the clues in the movies and you know i'll make it a bigger deal than it is i'm sure and it'll blow it out of proportion but you know that that's that's what i'm going with it's an interesting thesis i like it were there were there movies that you were either lukewarm on or hated that re-watching them for this so far i am like you just got up to goldeneye but have there been movies that re-watching them you've you've uh changed your mind on or two specifically uh yeah a lot of the more ones i i warm to so in terms of, especially roger moore movies and, and octopus is one that i had mixed feelings on and rewatching it i mean it's still a mess of a movie but the there's some very interesting th- things going on in the within octopussy about how they play with the bond formula uh that, that make that more interesting from a, a analytical point of view in terms of looking at the entire series right um the two movies that really stand out from the series that have changed my mind are Thunderbolt and For Your Eyes Only. What, were you? Were, yeah. Were you? How did you feel about Thunderbolt when you first saw it? I thought it was so boring. Me you too. Know? Me too. It. It, it was. It. <laughs> they linger on the underwater ballet. Yeah. For just tremendous amounts of time. I mean, it, it has to be a third or third of the movie underwater yeah and it's supposed to be spectacle right so a lot of people you know at the time i'm sure were like blown away by it well that's the, they developed underwater photography specifically for that movie so right. you're watching you watch that movie with this in mind and how people had never seen underwater photography like this before this is the same time period that jacques Cousteau was starting to make his films and and all the underwater the undersea life of jacques Cousteau. Right? It's called, you know, so this is brand new to people. And if you look at it from that kind of a spectacle, and you're thinking, you know, people have never seen anything like this before, it, it, there's a different appreciation for what's going on. And the, the scoring that was done for that movie is tremendous. And while it's not, it's not the most entertaining Bond movie, I'm not going to try and convince anybody that, that it's Goldfinger. That it's not, it's, but it has the pure Bond elements. You know, it, it's got a, a, a pretty good villain. Yep. It's Blofeld, but he's played well. Yep. Um, the henchmen aren't caricatures yet. You know, the 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 Bond girls are aren't. You know, they don't have much to do, but they're they're no Christmas Jones. Sure, sure. Yeah, how how can you be? Very few are. <laughs> um, you know, so. If you take the culture perspective of Thunderbolt, as I had tried to go into with this, this last viewing, I, I had a new appreciation, a new respect for the movie, and at times it got bumped up my list a, a, a number of spots because I did a I did a ranking before and I'm doing a re-ranking, so I can tell where these movies were and where they are now. And Fear Eyes Only, it, it's part of the geriatric more series. Right. You know? it's, it, it's this. Let's see. You know, he is this third to last, but right. he's still like fifty-five or something in that movie. It, it was was it the one right after Spy Who Loved Me? It's after Moonraker. It's, okay. it's the direct reaction to Moonraker. 
Okay. Because so I always I get... I love me. They're like, oh, we're going to take these fantastical elements. Space is popular. We're right, gonna right. Space. I always then, get the, f- for your eyes only, an octopusy mixed up. For some Fear reason. Fear only came before octopusy. Octopusy is... is it's Fear is only octopusy and then... Which, which one? Which one had the uh, the circus? Octopusy. Yeah, Octopus. That's the end of Octopusy where he's dressed as a clown. Right. Which is it's hard to stomach because it's Bond in a clown <laughs> outfit. But again, it, it's playing with expectations. Sure. When when else has Bond ever you know dressed in, as a clown? You know, I mean, to be very specific, I mean it's it's he's very dapper. It's a it's a good undercover. I'd While say that. some of the more outfits of the seventies and early eighties were clownish, there were a couple plaid, <laughs> there were a plaid suits in there. But so so for your eyes only, you had a a better feeling for. I did. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I can't exactly pinpoint it because it, it, again, it was the, the Roger Moore movies that I hadn't spent much time with. I probably watched it once. Um, you know. It, it just—it's another one of those Bond movies that has all the elements, and people overlook it, probably for a number of reasons. The, the, the actress Cara Bouquet isn't particularly memorable. Sure. She has we we joke. It's a running gag in Bondage. You know, she's got the one look. She's she, yeah. It's the my parents died look. And <laughs> she wears that the entire movie. She's not very emotive. Um, but it's it's a step in having the proactive Bond girl. She, yeah. They're not just tag-alongs anymore yeah she's she's there because she's seeking revenge yeah it just so happens that bond is is on the same path as she is so she gets involved but it's it's got the elements and it's overlooked again probably specifically because it's more um it's got some of the trademark horny moments that are you know beholden only to those more movies (laughs) but it's fun he always played it lighter, you know. He always played it like a, like a man that you know never took it too seriously. No, and, and there's a, and I was talking about that uh, license, the thrill book. There's, there's a, the author talks about, uh, talks about the differences between Moore and Connery, and, and he gets into into great detail. But uh, there's an interview I read, switching switching topics here a little bit. There's an mm-hmm. interview I read, I believe it was in GQ. That with more, it was a recent interview, uh, I believe before Skyfall came out. They asked him um, about his his the vintage Roger Moore moment. He said he didn't know what that was. <laughs> he didn't know what the what the perfect Roger Moore Bond moment was. And the the interviewer suggested it was the moment that the Lotus comes out of the ocean, right? The spy love me, and he drops the fish out the window. Yeah, yeah. Which is completely impossible in terms of the framework of the movie, right? And there, he more uh, related an interesting anecdote about how um, Cubby said, "This isn't possible. You know, why are we doing this? Right. Why this is funny because a fish can't get in the car; it's right. sealed." Right. And Moore's like, "Well, that's the joke." You know? No, it's it's, it's I mean, panache. It, it's, it's it is, and and it's the way he does it. You know, he has a way of delivering his jokes. He has a way of delivering these gags. That you know, no one else, at least that's played Bond, certainly could have pulled off. Certainly, it's 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 with more for me. It's probably you know my, my again. I always look back to my my dad's generation because of all the movies that he 
turned me on to when I was a little kid that that we shared together and bonded about. You know, there was there was uh, several others, you know, including movie action movies, R-rated action movies that he shouldn't have shown a little kid. But but Bond movies were like ours to have and you know even though my dad was such a a Sean Connery fan you know like any really old school uh, Bond fan he he gave me appreciation for Roger Moore because he also like he was uh, I, I would I would guess at the perfect age to be paralleled with Roger Moore as as he was going through the 70s. So Roger Moore had a lot every time you know I watch a Roger Moore movie there would be appreciation from my my dad and I really looked up to that. So much later on when <laughs> you know I'm hanging out with people that are talking about how great Goldeneye is because that's my generation's you know bond and they're you know especially especially because of the 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 video game the N64 video game. Well that 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 transcends yeah. So you, everyone who's like talking about Pierce Brosnan, and if you mention "quote unquote" any of the old fogies, <laughs> they're all, they're immediately like, you know, get the fuck out of here. Especially Roger Moore, but I love him. I love him, and and uh, for your eyes only, you know, especially, you know, we talk about the the other the other stream of consciousness with with all of these is um and the the element that transcends a lot of the movies, even when they're bad happens to be the song. The song is fucking fantastic. Oh, well, the, I mean, there are a few Bond elements that, you know, you need in every movie. Yep. I mean, the, the scoring, Barry's scoring from the beginning of it. I mean, he did the first, what, 16 movies or something? Amazing like that. Oh, I guess he missed one. You know, he missed uh, Fear is Only. He missed... There, <laughs> there's one of those, uh, more. I think it's Fear is Only, that right. uh, he doesn't do. Because he had some visa problems or something. Oh, I, really? I want to get that right, but uh, I'm afraid I, I'm missing the boat there. But anyway, he did all of these movies, and there's a there's a continuity of the scoring and 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 the the uh, the Bond theme and in the the pre title sequence. I mean, there's a tradition, you know. And uh, and we can certainly both agree that Madonna has the best song. <laughs> well, I mean, you're forgetting Cheryl Crow. <laughs> I can't wait for Shell Crow next week, actually. You know, and considering your considering your your newfound um appreciation for Thunderball, now I am interested in what you're gonna think of Never Say Never Again. Because, <laughs> I mean <laughs> you're that's that you know, that basically the same movie. That, those rights are very interesting. Yeah. I, so, yeah. What what have like what have been your your best experiences with this as it's related to Twitter? What, what have been your, your favorite reactions? What have been the standout moments? Well, there's, there's been a, there's been a few, uh, I, have been really surprised by the reaction, you know, so, uh, we go, you know, it's late. As I was saying nobody showed up for the first one. It was just two of us. You know, yeah. I, I hadn't done a ton of you know, pushing it because I didn't know exactly how I was going to approach this. It was all new to me. But we took a break during the holidays, and we came back with Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt was the first one we did after New Year's. It was the first one of the New Year, and I made a push to try and publicize this more. And you know, I went to uh, some of the the people who do the cultural gutter and the uh, the twit flicks and, and the other groups that do the live tweets. And right. I was like, you know, I'm doing this Bond series. I don't, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. 
Um, so how do you, you know, publicize? And I said, you know, they'd be, they said, we'd be happy to, to help you out a little bit. So they started pushing it, and I got uh, some probably a lot of traction just because of their help. Oh yeah. And, and for Thunderball was the first one. We had a group of people. That's great. And a group, I mean, it, we're talking modestly considering what we're doing now, but it was like five people, six people maybe. But that's that's fantastic. That's like a, a, a nice little, uh, it's like watching a movie together, you know? Yeah, it is. It was, it was a nice group, and, and it was the first time I felt like we were involved in something. I still didn't know what yet, but it was something. You know, we, we had a great conversation. It, it built from there. Right. So if I'm singing out a few moments, that Thunderball moment where it's it's a legitimate live tweet situation where people communicating back and forth, that's the first one. Yeah. Uh, after that, uh, it would probably be, we'd have to get into the Moonraker live tweet of all things. Were there people that, that were expecting a, a hokey good time? <laughs> there, well, there were people who legitimately loved that movie. I, I that's like, not ironically. That surprises me. I can't. I have to watch that again. I think I need to. <laughs> um, so I mean, so we we went into this movie and like I hadn't seen it in forever and I had just I I didn't have fond memories of it, you know. But I remember how hokey it was, right. and that was the the immediate turnoff for me. But it, like the Moonraker live tweet was was came to it was a few realizations for me. First of all, it was it was probably the most lively session we've ever had <laughs> in terms of number of people, the most amount of chatter. At least it felt that way. Uh, Twitter will tell us otherwise because uh, that'll be my third moment that I'll talk about. <laughs> but like it, it was. It, I couldn't keep up with the number of tweets during Moonraker because there was just so much conversation. Wow! And so many people involved, and and there there was people who loved it for what it was. It's just the genuine affection. For the movie, and the people like me who are like, eh, it's not so good. I'm really ready to make fun of it, though. Right. And, and it was kind of this mutual appreciation where it was appreciated ironically and unironically. Interesting. <laughs> you had the you had the real fans come out of the woodwork for it. Yeah, but it was a, it was a great time, and uh, it, it it was a new I I found a new appreciation for Moonraker, and I think that a lot of that. That fun comes across, particularly in that live tweet digest, because I had a lot of stuff to pick from there. I need to go back and check it out. I need but to rewatch that, it. That I mean, I, I think that was one of our best nights. I mean, if, if I'm going to rank them, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to rank the, maybe I'll rank the live tweet sessions after I do all the movies. <laughs> that would be great. Another um, another year. So many, so many <laughs> levels of reflexivity there. I don't know, that, that <laughs> too much. But that, so then, if we go to the third moment, and that's it was during. A View to a Kill, which is which is a, a, a pretty terrible movie. Sure. Uh, the that was the geriatric Bond movie. It has so many wasted opportunities. And the absolute last Roger Moore. You you have you have Blonde walking, and he's hardly in the movie. It's <laughs> a, a terribly missed opportunity. But that was during during that movie. At one point, one of our uh, one of our uh, live tweeters was like, just kind of popped up and said, "You know, we're we're trending." Wow. Not even locally. So I had to go check. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm, I'm not set on Pittsburgh. It was a national trend. It wasn't at the top. Holy crap. <laughs> but it was on the list. And I'm like, you know, we're just, you know, a bunch of people tweeting about Bond. And does that, does that come from, does that come from the actual volume of, of tweets? It, I had, I had been thinking about that, you know, you turn and I'm like, how can, 
how can our little tweet session for a view to a kill trend nationally? And I was like, well, so you're, it's the volume, the, the isolated volume of the, of, of the tweets. It's so like for two and a half hours, it's just an assault of the Avtac hashtag. Right. Which is fun to say, Avtac. <laughs> but even, so even though there's only like 10 to 12 people actively watching the movie, there are people who are following us who are also commenting and responding to us, tweeting about the movie, responding to us. So you have this, this epicenter that spreads out through all the hundreds of people that we follow. And it's a great big conversation, whether you're watching the movie or not. And that's, and that's where the volume comes from. It's because it's, it's clearly not just us because last night, Goldeneye was the number one trend. But then you have people that are hashtagging that don't even know what you guys are talking about. Right. Well, that, that start you know, that starts after, after it trends, you have the, the freeloaders who want to get in on the trending topic. (laughs) And uh, it's fun. It's fun because I have I have everything set up in TweetDeck, you know, and, and I have the hashtag set up. And you see, <laughs> and towards the end, once it starts trending, you get, oh, hey, look, Goldeneye's trending. That was a great game. I wonder why that's trending. <laughs> they think it's they think it's the N sixty four game. Right. There was a lot of people who were thinking it was the video game and not even considering it as the movie. And then there's people that just tweet hashtags. I, I think there's people who just watch the trends and tweet the trending hashtags. Oh, because they want to have some sort of spotlight. Yeah, well, I don't even know what what they're thinking because last night there was just ha- tweets that popped up that was just hashtag Goldeneye. <laughs> and like at three in the morning, where we're, we were apparently still on the list. I'm like, this is bizarre. And then it's, you know, the people coming in, why is Goldeneye trending? I wonder what's that. I, I usually take the time to respond to them directly saying, this is why we're trending and try and plug the, the Tumblr a little bit, but. Is it is it still fun or is it exhaustive? It's both. <laughs> you know, I I haven't. I, I joke. You know, I I talk to all of my uh, friends from my MFA program and writer friends. And, you know, the topic of conversation is always so. What are you working on lately? And, uh, they'll talk about their novel in progress or their screenplay they've been working on. And I'm like, I haven't written a word of fiction this year. <laughs> <laughs> Because I spent so much time doing this, but you ha- but you have to like it. It's giving you perspective on something that you obviously oh, enjoy. You know, I love it. It's exhausting, and uh, I, I I'm actually not looking forward to it ending. You know, it was set up specifically so that it was a there. It was a big push. It was a lot of work. I'd write all these essays, all these live tweets, and then it would be over. There's 23 movies, and then it's done. And now I've gone and tapped on, you know, the Never Say Never Again, and, you know, the people who didn't show up until the Roger Moore years. I'm like, you know, we didn't get to tweet those early ones with you. Why don't, you know, like, that'd be fun to do sure. again, because I proposed that idea since, you know, I, I, I had wanted to do the live tweet digest and the essays for all the movies, and I can't really do a live tweet digest of me tweeting. Right, right. yeah. It would defeat the purpose. So I'm like, is there any interest in starting back around at the beginning again. Right. Everybody unanimously was pretty much like, yeah, I want to do it again. Like, well, there's another month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I don't mind it. You know, like, it, I love talking about movies with people that love movies. Well, when it gets it's to... hard to find a, a more devoted and accepting fan base than Bond. It, it seems that there's such a good 
uh, community aspect to it, but I remember writing long papers uh, in in college about uh, about movies and all the exhaustive research you would do on a on a movie it would end up being that uh i wouldn't want to watch that movie again for years <laughs> so how do you feel about the idea that that you're going to watch another bond movie after this whole thing is over are you are you still are you still on board with that or have you seen too far behind the curtain to be like i i i need some time off you know after we watched The Spy Who Loved Me, um, I hadn't seen that movie in a long time and barely remembered any of it. And now it's, it's, I was reminded about how great that movie was. Again, it, you, you get in your own head, especially if you haven't seen the Roger Moore movies. I mean, it comes back time and time again. It's like, oh, it was a Roger Moore movie. It must not be that good. Right. But The Spy Who Loved Me is a legitimately great Bond movie. Yeah. And I had so much fun watching that movie with this group that I actually watched it again the next day. I don't know why. I, I have like 800 movies here. It was not a loss for something to watch. I was just like, I'm going to watch that again. It really, took you, it really took you back with how much, it, how much it rocked. You didn't expect it. You know, I, I remember liking it, but I think part of it again was, was watching it and sharing the experience with other people. And like, you're looking at different things, you're sharing their perspective, you're seeing things that they're seeing, stuff you've never seen before. And you know, you're busy, especially I'm busy during the live tweet, you know, making sure I get out all my safe tweets out in the appropriate times, which doesn't always happen. You know, sure. They have cues during the movie I need to send them out during. And, you know, I don't get to really devote my attention to the movie as much as I'd like necessarily. But, you know, I'm, I'm getting much better at being able to watch the movie and control the session at the same time. But at the time, I was like, you know, I didn't get to see as much of that I want. I'm going to watch it again. I see. And uh, even now we're watching it, going through the series, and I'm like, I wouldn't mind watching, you know, Thunderball again. Why not? I've, I I have a couple times popped in a movie while I'm doing some other work and just you know, watch it again. And when I do the essays, especially like the Live and Let Die essay I just finished, uh, it had been a while since I'd really, I, I'd seen it. I popped it in, I was right I was watching it. You know, it's it's just, uh, it's kind of something I do now. Well, they <laughs> do. Like all being inundated with Bond. They do say that it takes 20 viewings of uh, Di- uh, Diamonds Are Forever to enjoy it. So, no. you could try that. No, uh, I don't believe it. <laughs> I, I do not uh, want to try it. Uh, I will, however, finish my script for my alternate version of Diamonds Are Forever, and I will call call it even. That would be that that would be amazing. Uh, so I think that this might uh, be up probably around the time that you're going to be finishing Brosnan and starting Craig. So. Yeah, why don't you you know you want people to be involved with this? Why don't you why don't you plug it? Uh, how can people follow along? And what's the blog and all of that? All right, so everything for the project is contained on a Tumblr. Uh, the the address is double o seven hertz Tumblr hertz rumble dot tum- hang on let me do that again <laughs> 007 hertz rumble dot tumblr dot com i hate the tumblr but it was the best format for this, <laughs> right this project i feel like but uh and it's a tongue twister it helps with the it is it, it, it's it's a lot of uh it's it's a lot of letters that don't seem to go together much <laughs> but you know i i had it, it stems from a the my original blog that i started writing about uh music and how how music had kind of pulled me out of a uh rounded depression I'd had uh, 
in my early 30s, uh, and I, I called that 30 hertz rumble based right on. on the frequency of a uh, needle going around a vinyl record. Oh, right on. There is a barely audible hum that's was, created by the contact of the needle on the vinyl, and that is emitted at 30 hertz. That's great. I, I, I was going to ask you what that meant. That's fantastic. So when I, when I started doing the Tumblr, you know, all the easy-to-remember Bond addresses are kind of taken. <laughs> so I just use 007 hertz rumble. Dot Tumblr. <laughs> So the now that I settled that the project is all contained there. There is a schedule that lists all of our live tweet events. It is every Wednesday at nine p.m. Eastern. You f- and I will broadcast plainly the hashtag for the week. It is it is the name of the movie hashtag or abbreviation. And for any information, you should follow me at 007 Hertz Rumble on Twitter. On Twitter. Right on. That is where all the information is dispensed, and we talk Bond all the time. And if people want to go to follow you on your other Twitter, which you should follow both of them because even you can't tell which one you're on sometimes. No, you know, <laughs> I, I'm tweeting on both of them sometimes. I'm tweeting on one, not the other. Uh, yeah, if you're, if you're into it, follow both, 30 Hertz Rumble and 007 Hertz Rumble, and uh, then you can get 100% of my Bond-related tweets. <laughs> also, 30 Hertz Rumble is kind of the dumping ground for anything I feel like saying. I try try and keep the, the riffraff tweets off of 007 Hertz Rumble, but every once in a while something sneaks through. <laughs> well, I, I as much as I've experienced and witnessed maybe for four or five of the live tweet events and and I, I it sucks i always i'm always working wednesday night so all i can do is be a witness really be a spectator but um i always i i'm really enjoying it I, towards the end of uh i guess i got started towards the end of uh the roger moore years and and just went through through dalton with you and they are they are the formative years for my for my bond love you're you're right in the in the middle of them so anyone who definitely wants to check out this live tweet it is fun it's funny it's informative it's a really good time and like you've said you know there's a great community around it when when you start uh getting other people's tweets and and hashtags and it's just it's fun to follow yeah the thing i like to say for people who who don't disbelieve the the, the community that, that exists for Bond, because I think it's underestimated at, at times, is, is that you can talk to any Bond fan from any generation, any experience level, and you can have a legitimate conversation about your favorite movies, and they're guaranteed not to be anything alike. Yeah. And they're, you know, everyone is accepting, you know, even if you like Diamonds Are Forever, I will let it slide. <laughs> But there is a genuine acceptance of a difference of opinion, which is, is not always the case when, you, when you're talking about these movies. I, I, I equate it to, you know, decla- someone declaring that episode one of Star Wars is the best Star Wars movie. Right. It is like you would get thrown out of someone's house for saying Sure, you know? definitely. But you could claim Diamonds Are Forever is the best Bond movie, and, you know, you could have a legitimate conversation about it. People enjoy it. 
it's it's a spe- it's a special situation with with Bond certainly because everybody has uh, their era too. You know, the only other scenario that I can think of is probably Doctor Who that has their their. You could say you know I'm 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 part of the David Tennant era. You know. So yeah, definitely. Well, Twenty-three movies. Yeah, I mean, you have everybody had a different starting point, and you know, there's so many different perspectives, and it, it's it's really great to to talk Bond all the time. You know, I love it. Absolutely, James. Thanks so much for the uh, over hour that we've been talking. Oh, thank you very much. I, I had a good time talking Bond some more. We will. I can't get enough. I would love to have you back on just to talk about your your whole retrospective when this is all said and done, if you haven't already put the Walther PPK in your mouth. <laughs> no, I, I would love to do a retrospective after, after it's all said and done. I think that would be a good way to round it up. It's fantastic. Have a good one. Thank you so much. See you, man. Some or all of the music on today's podcast was brought to you by musicalley.com. If you liked any of the music, links to the artists and their songs are in the show notes.